This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Mark chapter 11 tells us the story of when Jesus cursed the fig tree. And the next morning they walked by there, the disciples walked by with him. And they saw that the fig tree was dried up from the roots. We'll start uh, picking up the story in verse 20. And in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remember it, said unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. And Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe, apparently in his heart, that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. And when you stand praying, forgive, if you have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. I want to talk to you this morning on a start a new series on overcoming offenses. I'm not going to talk about about the subject of faith. I'm going to point out and use this as a beginning point that Jesus identified one of the greatest hindrances to faith was unforgiveness. Now, hold your finger here. Well, no, you don't have to. We're not coming back to this. Turn back with me to Mark chapter, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 6. And I want you to see something else here. Matthew chapter 6. Beginning in verse 9, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he said, After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, notice Jesus has just given what's known as the Lord's Prayer. It's really the disciples' prayer, not the Lord's Prayer. But in in following what is known as, in church circles, the Lord's Prayer, notice the one thing that Jesus identifies and expands upon concerning what he just told them about prayer. Verse 14, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But... If you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Folks, forgiveness was a very strange concept in Judaism then and today. There is no emphasis placed on forgiveness in the, uh, uh, in the, in the Judaic religion. I'll, get, I'll show you another example. Turn with me to back a chapter to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 in verse uh, 43. Jesus said, You have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. Well, folks, who said that? Who said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy? That is the teaching of the Pharisees. It's the teaching of Judaism. The teaching of Judaism is not walk in forgiveness for everybody because the the teaching of Judaism, the whole thing about uh, the Jews' religion was that they were the people of God and everybody else was not. That's where they developed the idea, the concept that the the call to the Gentile world dogs because there was one people of God and only one people of God. There was only one covenant that God had with man and that was through Abraham. Everybody outside of that was 
without any type of relationship or way to God. And as a result, the Jews would not love their enemies. The Jews would not bring forgiveness to anybody that came against them. God said to Abraham, I'll bless those that bless you, but I'll curse those that curse you. So the whole idea in Judaism was it's us against the world. Anybody does us wrong, God will get them. And God told him over and over again, he said, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. He's told him that, he's taught him that all throughout history. So Jesus said, you've heard it said that thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. Verse 44, but I say unto you, Jesus is changing things around. He's saying it's a different day than what you've been accustomed to. But I say unto you, love your enemies Bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be children of your Father. Now, the Old Testament is all about being servants of God. It's only through Jesus that we become children of God. So he's saying, here's the the way to make the shift. The difference between the servant of God who loves their neighbor and hates their enemies and the children of God is forgiving and loving your enemies. Walking in love, walking in forgiveness. That you may be children of your Father, which is in heaven. For he makes his sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans do the same. And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans or the tax collectors do the same thing. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. What I want you to see, folks, is that there is a difference between forgiveness in the Gospels and in the Old Testament and for the church. Now, we just see in these two examples, Matthew chapter 11, Mark chapter 6, where Jesus said, now Jesus ought to know what he's talking about, I would think. Jesus said, if you forgive, then God forgives. If you don't forgive, God won't forgive you. Is that the way it still works today? Well, let's look over to Ephesians chapter 4 and see. These are letters written to the church, to those who have accepted Jesus' sacrifice and made him the Lord of their lives. And notice what Paul said. Let's just start reading in verse um, 29. Ephesians chapter 4 beginning in verse 29. He said, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But, or only, that which is good to the use of edifying, that means to build people up, that it may minister grace unto the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Now, I want you to notice that Paul says, by the Holy Ghost, that there is a way to keep the Holy Ghost from being active in your life. You can be Spirit-filled, you can, you can have the, the, the Spirit of God upon you, you can be anointed, but you can grieve Him through your actions and your words. Now, what does it mean if we're grieved? What does it mean to grieve someone? Well, if we lose a loved one and we're, we're grieving, we go through a period of grieving, basically what it does is it paralyzes us to some degree or another. In some extreme cases, people just shut down. They just stop living their lives. They just, they just completely shut down. In, in uh, less extreme cases, we go through the motions, but it robs us of our passion for life and it robs us of our focus. 
So basically what it does when it's talking about grieving the Holy Spirit is the way the same thing that we experience in grieving uh, the loss of a loved one or anything else. It's that we lose our real emphasis and the way that we're supposed to and God wants us to live our lives. It shuts us down to some degree or another. Well, that's what it's saying about the Holy Ghost. He doesn't leave you, but you can shut him down in your life. There's no question in my mind that a lot of Christians live their lives grieving the Holy Ghost. Now, they're not grieved. Grieving the Holy Ghost is different than us being grieved. We know because it's our loss. We sense grief because of our loss of a loved one. But you can grieve the Holy Ghost and not be grieved yourself. You can grieve the Holy Ghost just through ignorance and wonder why God's not doing things on your behalf. Yet Jesus told us that the number one hindrance to the prayer of faith operating successfully is unforgiveness. So we can be in, in a position where we grieve the Holy Spirit wondering why isn't God answering our prayers. In my opinion, that's where a lot of the church world is, maybe the majority of the church world. They can't figure out why God's not answering their prayers. And it probably comes down to something like this, the way that they're living. And I'm not talking about some major sin. I'm not talking about their stealing or lying or, or doing things like that. But through corrupt communication or some of these other things that are listed, they have grieved the Holy Ghost so he's not active in their lives. Bible says, Paul said in Galatians chapter 6, that faith works by love. Well, that means faith won't work without it. So if we're not walking in love, and forgiveness is a big part of walking in love. If we're not walking in love in our lives, then even though we may be ex uh, expressing faith from our hearts, that faith will be inactive and inoperable. And that grieves God because he wants you to receive those things that you desire and those things that you believe for. So he said, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but or only that which is good to the use of edifying. In other words, watch your mouth, watch your words, that it may minister grace to the hearers and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Now that just means we have a seal of the Holy Spirit until Jesus comes back for the church and then we'll receive our redeemed bodies. The fullness of redemption will be accomplished because our bodies will be changed just like our spirits have been changed. We'll receive new bodies just like we receive new spirits when we gave Jesus our heart. Verse 31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted. Isn't it interesting that Paul would have to tell them by the Holy Ghost, tell Christians by the Holy Ghost to be kind to each other. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Here's the part I want you to see, last part of verse 32. Forgiving one another so God will forgive you? No. Forgiving one another even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Folks, I got to tell you, if me forgiving is the basis for God forgiving me, there are some situations, if I'm living right, there are some situations where I might risk it. Might be worth holding a grudge against certain people. I mean, if I'm living right, if I don't have anything really to be forgiven of, I'm already saved. I'm already in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus lives in my heart. So if it's just a matter of me living my life in a right or a moral way or a clean manner or something like that, it might be worth holding a grudge against some people. But that's not the standard now. The standard is forgiving even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. 
forgiving even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Turn with me over to Hebrews chapter 12. This word bitterness that we saw in verse 31 of Ephesians 4 is an interesting word because it literally means poison. Hebrews chapter 12 speaks to this a little bit further. We'll start in verse 14. It says, follow peace with all men and holiness without which uh, no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness, there's that word poison, springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. I want you to notice something. Bitterness, which is unforgiveness, taking root, is a poison that'll, that'll poison not only you but other people. It's a poison that will hold you back in life as well as other people. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. The Bible says Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses on the cross. He was wounded, Isaiah 53, 5 says he was wounded for your transgressions, that's sins. He was bruised for your iniquities, that's sins. The chastisement of your peace was upon him, that's provision. That's the penalty or the, uh, uh, the overcoming of the curse of poverty. And by his stripes, you were healed. That's the overcoming of sickness. The Bible says in the same verse, the same verse that Jesus paid the price for your sins, he paid the price for your sickness. Now, if somebody was coming to get saved, we wouldn't expect them to pray all night to see if God would do it, would we? Why is it different with healing? Jesus paid the same price at the same time. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Turn with me over to uh, 1 John chapter 4. John talks about a, a lot about love. Now, church history tells us that, uh, that John was pretty uh, good about living what he preached. There were, he, w- he lived to, to a very old age. Some would usually, uh, most people agree that uh, they lived into his 90s. And uh, he was certainly the last or the oldest of the apostles that was here on the earth. And he created and caused such a problem for um, um, the powers that be that they, they tried to get rid of him. They tried to kill him. They tried to boil him in oil, which wouldn't be my first way to go. <laughs> but they couldn't do it. He wouldn't die. So they wound up exiling him, putting him on a rock, the Isle of Elba, they, they put him on the, uh, I'm sorry, the Isle of Patmos. It's Napoleon that went to Elba, I guess. I don't know why I get those confused. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, they sent him to the Isle of Patmos, some rock out in the middle of the water, where they thought, okay, he can't hurt anybody. Well, there he had visions and wrote letters to the church that are a blessing to us today. You couldn't stop this guy. And everything he talked about was love. Now, notice what John says about love. He says in verse, uh, um, yeah, let's start in verse 16. And we have known, this is John, 1 John 4, verse 16, and we have known and believe the love that God has to us. God is love, and he that dwells in love dwells in God and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, 
that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. Folks, please notice he says in verse 17 that your love can be perfect. Now he's on the way. He's living up to it himself. I don't know if he would ever say that he arrived, but in my estimation, he's pretty far down the road. Now notice what he says about this perfect love. Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear has torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Now when we read that verse of scripture, we think fear has torment for us. But that's not what the verse is saying. The word torment is a word that is related to punishment. He's saying perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment. You know the reason, one of the main reasons why we won't forgive other people? Because we're afraid they won't get what's coming to them. We're afraid that God won't really punish them the way that we know they should be punished. That's what this is saying. He's saying, he that feareth, he that that is still looking for punishment is not made perfect in love. So what does that tell us about the love that we're supposed to walk in, the forgiveness that we're supposed to walk in? It's supposed to be a total forgiveness so that we're not looking for anybody to get theirs anymore. Now that can be tough. It's one thing to say, the love of God has filled my heart. And therefore, Father, I pray for my enemies, knowing full well that you will pour out the wrath of heaven upon them. John said that's not perfect love. That's tough, isn't it? You know what? You know one of the worst things you can do in forgiving people? Go tell them you forgive them. You know why? Because most of the people you think have done you wrong don't have any clue about what they've done and would deny that they did anything wrong. You're just creating another set of problems to go to somebody and say, Brother, I forgive you. For what? What did I do to you? Well, you said this. That's nothing. You can't be serious. Now you've got a whole different set of forgiveness to operate in. You've got a whole different set of circumstances to deal with. But perfect love isn't looking for somebody to get theirs. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love doesn't deny that I've been done wrong. But it just says I'm not looking for them to get theirs because of it. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. Let me show you a verse of scripture here that I'm sure you've never seen before. Philippians chapter 4. Um, well, let's just start in verse 1. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Now, Paul is, is starting off with some kind of flowery, you guys are great. I love you so much. Be strong in the things of God. Now he's going to try to fix a problem. Verse 2. I beseech Euodius and beseech Synecdoche, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Now this phrase of the same mind is in the Greek. It's about four different words in the Greek that's all put together in one, in one phrase. And it literally means stop arguing. 
I beseech that these two people would stop their divisions, would stop their quarrels, would stop their arguing. Now, Paul, from wherever he is, writing this probably Rome, has heard that these two people are still fighting. This must be an ongoing thing. So he says, I beseech that they would stop their disagreements, their arguments, their problems with one another. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help these women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are also in the book of, uh, in the book of life. So he's saying that these are two women that helped him in ministry. These are preachers. Or in some area of ministry, these are people that ought to know better. These are people that should be looked at as being mature in the things of God. And he's saying, I beseech that they would shut up and end their quarrel with each other. Now, how are they going to do that? Verse 4 and 5. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He's telling you two things, two steps to overcoming offenses that will be of great, great, great benefit to you if you will do them. Number one, rejoice in the Lord all the time. You can't complain about what somebody else has done for you and rejoice at the same time. It's either or. So his first comment is rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. That's one way to quit an argument. The second thing is verse five, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. This word moderation is uh, is uh, an interesting word because it's translated in, in uh, some cases gentleness. But it literally means this. It means the opposite of being rigorous. We know of moderation as being temperate, even-keeled, middle-of-the-road as far as your emotions are concerned and so forth. And, and that's certainly true. But there's a, the, it's the opposite. This word in the Greek is the opposite of the word being rigorous. And what he's saying is, don't press your advantage. Don't be rigorous in attacking your enemy, even if you have a right to do it. It's in action. It's what we know of as graciousness in the English language. To be gracious is not to press against somebody, even if you have a right to. Love covers a multitude of sins, the Bible says. It overlooks a lot of things that are done wrong to it. You know, it's interesting because the Bible talks about grace and mercy together in a lot of places. You know what grace is? Grace is where God gives you what you don't deserve. You know what mercy is? Mercy is where God doesn't give you what you do deserve. And the love of God is both gracious and merciful. God gives you what you don't deserve. And he doesn't give you what you do deserve. And that's what the Bible's talking about, us growing and maturing in perfect love so that we don't hold things against other people. Forgiveness is not ignoring that somebody did you wrong. It's choosing to not hold it against them even when they did. That's why forgiveness has nothing to do with feelings. Forgiveness has everything to do with a choice, a determined choice about behavior. Now, the feelings may or may not come depending on what the situation is and how deeply rooted you allow it to be. But forgiveness is about a choice. Forgiveness is about a decision. Okay, I'm going to operate in love. I'm going to walk in love because the Bible says that's what I ought to do. Do I feel like doing it? Not at all. There's a, let me close with this. Sometimes it's easier for us to forgive what people have done to us instead of what they've done to our loved ones. Any of your... Remember hearing about the about uh, Corey Tinboon? You remember who she was? Well, for the young people that, that don't know, let me real quickly tell you who she was. 
back in World War II, she and her sister lived in uh, Holland, which was occupied by the Germans. And the Germans were in there um, searching out for the Jews and enslaving them and putting them in concentration camps and so forth. Corrie ten Boone and her sister hid the Jews. Every time they'd find somebody that was of Jewish descent, they would hide them and try to get them out of the, the city or out of the country or whatever it was and, and saved a lot of people. But over the course of time, her and her sister was, were found out, discovered by the Jews, and so they were put in a concentration camp. Well, her sister uh, died in the concentration camp. There was a situation where one of the guards was especially mean to, um, uh, to the sister and beat her savagely, and then the sister died as a result of that beating. Well, fast forward several years, and, and World War II is over, and Corey Ten Boone is, is ministering, and she's in a certain place, and she looks out in the congregation, and she sees this guard. So she's standing there. She makes no attempt to see him or get close to him or anything like that, but he comes up. He makes a beeline to her for the, after the service is over. He comes to her, reaches out his hand. She forces herself to shake his hand. And then he says, isn't it good to know that God's forgiven us? And she said, he said it so casually that it stirred everything up for me again. It wasn't, I'm so sorry for the things that I did. It wasn't, I remember your sister and I'm so guilty of what happened to her. He doesn't ask her for forgiveness. He doesn't do anything. He just kind of casually says, isn't it good to know God's forgiven us? Like he's forgiven you for the same things he's forgiven me when he's responsible for killing her her sister. She went home. It was a morning service. They were going to have an evening service. She went back to the hotel, wherever it was she was staying. She said, I've never had such a struggle in my life. She said, now what's interesting is he did things against me in the concentration camp. And she said, I didn't even remember those things. Those things are easily forgiven. She said, but what he did to my sister, how am I ever going to forgive? And she said she spent all day long, all afternoon praying, talking to God about this. How am I ever going to get, get over this? How am I ever going to get around this? How can I minister knowing that he's coming back? How this, how that? You can imagine the questions and the emotions that she'd be feeling. At least I can imagine the ones I'd be feeling. And she said the Lord spoke to her. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. That's all she got, folks. That's all the instructions she had. Now, I can't imagine something more difficult to forgive than that. It's a whole lot easier for me to forgive people that speak against me than people that work against my kids. You come against me, okay, I know how to handle that. You come against my kids or my family, what do you do? But the instruction is the same. The instruction for us as Christians is the same, and that is to forgive. Forgiveness is the real test of the love of God because people are going to offend us and we're going to get our feelings hurt. But forgiveness is about making a decision to let the love of God dominate us instead of walking according to how we feel.
Thanks for being with us today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. So faith begins where the will of God is known. God's Word reveals His will to you. And once you know His will, there is nothing that can stop you from receiving what God has for you. That is the number one problem, the number one objection that everybody has, no matter what the area is, healing or whatever, that is the number one objection that people have. They don't know if it's God's will for them. Well, how are we going to find out? The answer is in the Word. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.